All right, we are back for yet another episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And I'm still Ara. So it's been a couple of weeks, but we're back. Um, there's actually, I, I have a few things on the list that I think are going to make for, for good good talking. Um, I, however, want to point out what I did for like three hours today, and I think you're going to be very excited. I was basically simulating uh, being Mario. I thought you were going to say you were simulating being a parent, but... I figured that would have taken a lot more than three hours. Yeah, well, really, I mean, that's also true. That's true, because I think my wife does all the hard work. But um, I took it upon myself to do plumbing today. This, in truth, doesn't have much to do about video games. Um, well, I mean, like, there's Mario. Well, exactly. He was a that's, plumber. That's my point. I'm a, ma- a master plumber. We've been waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks because we had, like, this whole leak in the bathroom and, like, the valve wasn't working properly. we, we got to fix this, and then I... Didn't think I could do it properly. I wanted a plumber to do it, but the stupid plumber won't come over. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to do it. And like, I got a pipe cutter, and I put on new valves, and, like, it's all good, man. Wow. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. So if you need new stop valves anywhere in your house, and it doesn't involve digging into a wall and soldering, I can totally do it. If this, is, um, <laughs> this is highly reminiscent of my new computer experience. Yeah, you did that, too. You became a tech nerd this week. Yeah, well, now I've, I'm beginning to appreciate uh, why they pay sysadmins money. To build machines and get images running properly? Or, or to just set up and configure machines. This is a corner um, of knowledge in the world that I'd been uh, mostly avoiding for obvious reasons for much of my life. But this time... You know, it was it was unavoidable. So, you know, I got to save on money these days because my development activities are not as profitable as they once were. And um, I mean, it just comes with the territory. You know, that's that's what happens when you're a developer. Well, you got uptime, you got downtime. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much feast or famine. And it's been about six years since I had my last computer. So six years is a good time interval, and as much as I didn't want to spend any money, you know, my current computer is becoming really long in the tooth with, uh, you know, how it's jerking me around. So I'm like, okay, well, better I get a new machine and get all that stuff set up than have to deal with, you know, when my machine kicks it finally because it's just a matter of time. So... Anyway, so this one has you have SSDs now, right? Yeah. Well, the, so here's the funny thing. So in, you know, being true to the super cheapskate mode uh, that I'm often in, I was talking to my friend about it, and I didn't want to deal with, you know, like I said before, putting together a whole bunch of parts and stuff, and going going through all that morass. So I ordered. I, I did one of these, like, configurators, right, on Newegg, and I just, like, okay, they're going to put it together for me. I don't have to deal with that. That's cool. But then my friend's like, oh, but you should get it. I'm like, I'm going to get an SSD. And he's like, oh, that's too much. The prices are going down now. You should just order it with the regular hard drive and then put in the SSD. And just, like, he's like, it's easy, right? It's simple. I'll, I'll show you how to do it. You can. It just- is super easy. Because <laughs> you- I have to image my um, old hard drive onto the new hard drive and then swap them back and forth. And, um, you know, in theory, perhaps uh, it is true that it is easy. But in practice, in my particular case, it was a huge pain in the butt. I'll tell you that on a Mac, 
it's incredibly easy. Okay, well, I don't think you appreciate the depth of what I had to, to do to. Um, well, I'm just perform telling you that if exercise. if you had a Mac, it would have been super easy. And on a PC, usually the SSDs. Well, the SSD I got, which was a Samsung, um, came with the necessary ghosting software to do that for PC. And in theory. It is easy, but I'm guessing that's not actually what happened for you. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that, see, I had to basically take apart my whole computer and put it back together again because I had to get at some – this is this is really – I really don't want to go into this. But basically, I had to get at some cables that they were running out to the outside of the computer on the top for the stupid SATA hot swap port that I would never use. So in the process of getting that cable out so I could repurpose it for the SSD I was putting in – Basically, I had to take the whole thing apart and put that back together. So um, that totally defeated the purpose of me getting the computer preassembled, obviously. That's just a factor of your case, though. So, Well, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I never said it was going to be anything otherwise. But um, so then there was that problem. And then, you know, when I got the whole – and when I got to deal with the software side, there was – so the process that I was doing, I had to basically shrink the partition on my drive because my base drive was one terabyte. My SSD is half that. So I had to shrink the partition and it wouldn't allow me to shrink the partition because there were some unmovable files. And so, you know, I had to go and, you know, just basically go back to school and figure out and just troubleshoot all this business, which, you know, I'll tell you at the end, I felt like, you know, I was very satisfied. I had earned my $100 in savings for seven hours of work. Um, and everything's fine now, and I actually feel like a lot more uh, knowledgeable about this stuff. But yeah, the way, let me tell the you, way, the, in the process, it was a really big pain in the ass. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. I, I think the fact that you went to a smaller drive is, I mean, obviously that's what killed you. But um, the way it's worked for me is I don't know anything about computer hardware, and then the day comes that I want to build a computer, and then I have to ask my friends and read up on the Internet and whatever, like, which processor is better which motherboard works for which processor? Yeah, should I get a, this technology or should I get the newer one? Is it that much better to pay There's a huge body extra? of knowledge that you have to understand that takes a long time to figure out unless you're you know, one of those guys that is with it, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean there's people who just spend their whole lives looking at this stuff so they get it right off the bat. Um, but we're not, we're not those people. Kind of like I had to learn with my plumbing, but now I can totally Yes, exactly. But let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. Pre-SSD, my new machine took about 50 seconds to boot. Post-SSD, guess how fast? 12 seconds. 8 seconds. Oh, wow. Not only 8 seconds, but actually one of those seconds is a deliberate one-second delay to give you a chance to press F2 before booting starts. (laughs) See, I told you it was good. It was good to get an SSD. It makes you feel powerful. So... Yeah, so it's good times now, but, you know, I kind of felt like I went through some labor of my own. All right, so I want to I start getting into the news here, the, the things that have been going on lately in, in the gaming world. And I, I imagined, I expected that you would come to the table with this whole Zoe Quinn thing, although I was not intending on it myself. Uh, have oh, you followed yeah, that story? Oh, yeah, because I usually like all of these uh, sexist slash sexy stories, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you investigate them more than I do. That's totally true. I, I so do that. You know what? I just got a whiff of it, and all I heard about was that there's a girl. She's a developer. She had an ex. Her ex did some really um, 
effed up things that I, of course, would not condone, although some people might have the opposite impression for some reason. But I guess he posted a bunch of, uh, like, naked pictures of her or something like that. That's the gossip. Mm-hmm. And well, not, that's, not that's just all, that. Like, that's all I've a, heard. The The real, well, like I said, I didn't even care to get into this all that much, but, like, I guess the reason people are upset with her and the reason that he did that was because she cheated on him, supposedly, um, with a bunch of dudes, which I couldn't care less about, um, except... I guess there mm. is there is argument that she was hanging out with dudes um, that were reviewing her game. And that's where the whole journalistic integrity thing comes into play. Wow. Yeah, this is far more interesting than um, upon first inspection. Yeah, including someone from Kotaku. Uh, and that's why Kotaku wasn't commenting on the story when everybody else was. What so okay, hold on. Now there's you said a whole lot of things there that um have a lot of questions. So first of all is the last time I when, when I read what she wrote, she basically said, Look, I'm not even going to entertain any discussion of any of these issues. And she shouldn't. She shouldn't have well, I don't know. Well I, I haven't decided whether thing? she should or not yet personally, but <laughs> but here's the fun I mean the first thing that you said, right? If she had an ex who she was with who had cheated on her with, uh, you know, between, by one and in, in other individuals, right? I guess the first question is, right, did she really cheat on him or not? And that I guess we'll just never know. And it could easily go either way. It could easily be something because, I mean, without knowing, right, it could either be, yes, she actually did, she, she you know, she had an agreement with him that she violated his trust with, which is also incredibly uncool. Or, and I see this in relationships almost just as frequently, the opposite thing might happen where, you know, the guy ends up in uh, such a psychological position that he's basically like, he has, he, he does something that's called a covert contract. Have you ever heard that term? No. Okay, this is something that... Um, People who are quote unquote nice guys do all the time, and it's a really bad um, social type of behavior where they'll basically, in their heads, make up agreements with other people that they haven't explicitly uh, actually arranged with them. So one of the covert contracts could be, for example, right, like, oh yeah, we're exclusively seeing each other without having had the actual, like, explicit agreement to do so. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But see, to me, I I don't, I mean, I agree with you that cheating on someone is kind of a dick move, but, like, I, I don't care. It's not relevant to me. She gets to do whatever she wants in her life. Um, the only part that it then becomes questionable is the idea of the journalistic integrity part, where, depending who she slept with at, which ta- at whatever time, regardless of whether or not it was cheating, uh, could affect, you know her position as a developer and perception of her as a developer that does moral things. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about that some more. So there's actually alleges that she slept with like Kotaku. Yeah. yeah, But here's, here's the thing. I'm so ahead of myself because I assumed (laughs) that you would be the one to have researched all this that I did not. Yeah. You're the, I wanted to have this discussion in reverse. So yes, there is apparently that allegation, 
but I have not researched it enough to understand it. But I think that's that's why this became a big deal. First of all, just because someone was being such a dick to her of you know posting personal stuff about her. Um, although the naked pictures are not like I also heard rumor that like from someone I trust that uh, you know she did stuff like that before. Like he referred to her as a she did porn before. I don't know if she did porn, but I don't think she's uh, uh, a stranger to to nudity or anything. Um, well, I mean, she had to have done some kind of porn for there to be pictures available, whether it's homemade well, or not. <laughs> well, intentionally public or not. But, yeah, uh, I guess it may not have been intentional. Uh, you got to yeah, be careful. So I don't think that's things. the big deal. It's more that, you know, someone's just questioning her, her morality and putting her in the spotlight when it's not their position to do so. Yeah, um, this is one of those – I want to make a comment on that actually specifically. I think this is one of those things that – well – I think people are free to have any relations they want with anyone, however they want. But at the same time, when you're negotiating a professional arena, you have to be just really effing careful. And, hey, I mean, I'm the first person to, you know, raise the flag and scream free love for everybody. But at the same time, you also have to understand that, and obviously I'm not talking to you, Alon, about it. But things can get out of hand in terms of stories and what gets disseminated or communicated publicly. And none of those things are necessarily uh, fair or deserved in terms of like, oh, okay, you might get branded a slut or you might get a reputation or people might gossip about you like we're gossiping about it right this second. But, right, it's – I kind of – feel like it's the if you're relating with somebody else in any way you choose i mean it's up to those two people to do it in a discreet enough way but unfortunately we know that human social interaction is more complicated than that and things get out when people don't want them to get out so it just sounds like a tough spot i mean I don't think anybody should get penalized for having any kind of relations for anybody. But we know that the public arena uh, is a little tougher on people than that. Well, I mean, if you're doing this whole quid pro quo, I sleep with you, you give me a good review thing, then I I do think that should not be allowed. Well, see, here's the thing, though, right? And actually, this is a really interesting topic of discussion because I think that especially in the world of video games when it comes between – let me just put it this way. Um, On the face of it, I agree with what you just said, but I have an extremely strong suspicion that in practice, uh, nobody is actually trading sex for other favors. I think that they're just people that are on different sides of the same industry who just want to sleep with each other. Uh, I mean, that's possible. I'm just telling you that's because, that's what people are talking about. Yeah. Well, let me let me let me uh, elaborate a little more on why I think it's actually so impractical and also unlikely that any type of um, uh, exchange sex for other things took place. Um, it's just let, let me put it this way, and I'm going to make some generalizations in this process. Um, but I think basically what it comes down to is, I think that it takes a highly devious type of female to engage in that type of quid pro quo. And I think it's less likely than it is, than it is likely that 
there's actually a female in the industry that would be um, that ruthless to basically use her body to get ahead in that way. Because what is she getting? I mean, like out of somebody from Kotaku, like really, like what well, are you getting out it, of that? Like, let's it may have been when I did. first heard about this. The suggestion was that there were multiple people in similar situations. Now, yeah, now again, maybe, I don't you know, know the details. She just, like, she, maybe she just has a lot of friends. I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, I agree with you, man. She get around as much as you want. The irony is that she released the game for free on Steam. So then, what's what's really? I mean, I know like down the line there's some value to popularity, but like <laughs> it's not like she's yeah. getting immediate return on this on the popularity of this game. Although maybe yeah. well, maybe she just released it for free because of this whole situation. Again, more details I'm not familiar with. Yeah, well, let me put it this way too, right? No matter how many people are involved, I think that the desire of just like just sheer pure attraction between people is a stronger force than a desire to um, cunningly or ruthlessly uh, gain some additional station in the industry by sleeping around. I mean, maybe that happens sometimes, but I just don't think it's that frequent. And and, and if you're going to conclude that one or the other is more likely, I just feel like it's kind of neurotic to go to the, oh, she must have been using him. Or she must have been using sex to get ahead as the first conclusion. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just the claim. Anyway, like I said, I expected you to have researched it more. So you should do that, and then we'll talk about it next time. If, uh, <laughs> Maybe. if you think that's <laughs> Maybe interesting. Maybe I remember. Um, there are other things that I actually have more to, to talk about. Um, yeah. Maybe something actually that has to do with video games. Yeah. Well, I, what do you think about that? Yeah. You're you're right. Um, okay, so there's a few things I saw. Um, I'm trying I'm trying to flip through my list and realize decide which one is the best. This thing about the Fez guy, which is actually this is actually related to Zoe Quinn. So we should talk about that now. So uh, Phil Fish, you know who he is. Yep, everybody knows okay. who he is. So he made Fez, and he's also, in my opinion, like manic or bipolar or something. Um, super emotional. <laughs> And, uh, like he already said a long time ago that he was quitting the the games industry. And then he was like a backer or supporter somehow of the depression quest game, which is what Zoe Quinn made, which was just released. Uh Um, so then in some sort of odd retaliation for things that the public has nothing to do with, they have been attacking Zoe Quinn, you know, like electronically, um, but then they also attacked Phil Fish and Polytron, which is the company he put together to make Fez. And so, oh, do you are you talking about hackers? Yeah, this hacker yes. thing. Yeah, I just saw that before we actually uh, started recording. So they messed with the Polytron website. They hacked his Twitter account, their Dropbox account, did, like his. What did they do? Like his um, personal financial information, I guess, was what? Yeah, it was I was that, taken and possibly oof. shown to people because they talk about how it was exposed, um, and so. Again, these details are ones that I didn't research much because what's important is his reaction to the event, Um, which in classic Phil style, you know, there was no holding back. He uh, like he wrote posts on Twitter. He like in a very reactionary move, he's like, all right, guys, screw this. I'm selling Fez and selling Polytron, which are basically the same thing, since the only thing Polytron's ever made is Fez. Um, But, yeah, he said he's quitting. He's out. Closed the Twitter account. Um, he says he's selling it and I'm thinking, well, if you left the industry, then, I mean, I guess you still own it, but 
hell. Like, what are you going to do with it? Um, this is, you know, this saddens me to hear this because whether this is an actual reaction to what just happened or not, it's going to be perceived as a reaction to what just happened. And this is just giving more power to the people who are effing with the guy. Yeah, no, but dude, it gets crazier. And I, the the article I pulled up doesn't have all of his quote. It, it This quote is just here. It says, uh, I'd like to announce that Polytron and the Fez IP are now for sale. Uh, no reasonable offer will be turned down. I'm done. I want out. But there was more to it that I don't have in front of me right now where he was straight up telling developers, don't get into it. It's not worth it. Like he used those words. Yeah. You know, you want to make games? Well, I mean, don't. He, does, he clearly doesn't feel like it's worth it for him. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I don't blame him because being involved in development and, you know, these types of things. But this sort of. It can be incredibly stressful. This sort of public claim, public outburst, for lack of a better word. Like he's got to be super emotional about it. It sounds like the guy's, you know, sitting there on a desk um, just crying because people hurt him. And he's like, don't even do it. It's horrible. Like you should should never get into this. It's not worth your time. Well, he's just and... he's just being straight up about it, though, and I mean I can appreciate that. I mean I can appreciate a completely unfiltered opinion. So, part of me does, and the other part is like, dude, you need to reel it in and not be so emotional about things. That that's not well, so relevant too late for that. I mean, it's not so relevant to video <laughs> games, just his emotional state. But damn. Um, so anyway, that's what's going on with Fez. But again, like, well, let me. I have a different angle I want to explain, though. Um, and this is funny because, like, psychological, like, we're covering like a lot of very similar like psychological territory this show for some reason. But I, I see this. This is like a a capital N nice guy problem, um, much like what I just described earlier about covert contracts. And I've had this problem. It takes, it's taken me a long time in my life to overcome it, and I haven't even fully overcome it. And I feel like a lot of us, um, us gamers and developers, are very much like this too because this is how we were brought up. But one thing that nice guys have a problem with is giving away their power. And they don't know how they do it because they are so mired in the patterns of giving away their power. And I feel like this is what Phil Fish actually did that he just did now. Uh, and this is like the most extreme uh, way to express giving away your power. You get hacked and but your response is, I am giving up everything that I built up to achieve. How, how could you give up your power with any more strength than that? You mean basically showing them that they won? Well, yeah, he's basically saying that he just gave up completely. He's given up. He's giving away all of the power that he's ever had by saying that. And it just it really saddens me to see that and to hear that because he doesn't deserve to give away his power. You know, nobody does. You just mean that he shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. And that's that's yeah. part of what I'm talking no, about. He is... doesn't deserve it. I, I don't understand what you mean. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm saying he, something stronger than just saying that he shouldn't. I'm saying that. Do you mean he deserved. he doesn't deserve what was brought upon him, or his actions show that he didn't deserve the power in the first place? Well, he doesn't deserve what was brought upon him, but in a sense, he kind of does because, un, probably unwittingly, uh, he's actually uh, encouraging and enabling it to happen to him, and that's what that's what people do when they give away their own power, and that's what it's what that's what's so sad about that dynamic. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's not the first time. So he, he'll, yeah. It, well, precisely. You know, style. like he. That's that's why. Like, 
I think that the re- probably the reason why he got hacked is because he was expressing so much weakness before that basically, you know, people people respond to that when you give away your power. Uh, a lot of people will respond to it unconsciously and they will grab it and take it for all it's worth. And that's what I feel like is happening here. Yeah. Now people respond to other people being strongly emotional because basically they want to see it happen again because they know that basically like they won, you know, it's not cool to if you have an interest in vengefully hurting someone and then they don't respond. It's that whole like ignore the bully situation, right? Because if you ignore him, he'll go away. And if you don't, he'll be like, yes, I'm pissing that guy off. So that's what happened here. Um, We're about to go to break, but uh, I'm going to completely switch topics for reals and go on to a couple other things in in just a minute um is there anything you want to tease before before we go no i'm all out of teasing today okay cool so uh we're going to talk about sony playstation home and maybe we'll even get to talk about this other thing where uh the, the puppy puppy games guy spoke out oh yes yeah. two big topics all right so we're gonna go we'll be right back in just a minute You're listening to the second half of Chatterbox Video Game Radio. I hope people are liking this this format too with the longer longer segments. Um, we haven't we haven't really asked anybody, but but hopefully you like it. Um, so I said we were going to talk about about uh, PlayStation or Sony or whatever. Did I say PlayStation Home? Did you might have said Home. Yeah. What's going right. on with Home? So it's closing down in Japan and Asia. That's a surprise. Yeah. For those who don't know, like, because the people who listen are either from America, from Europe, from Japan, from Australia, whatever. Um, video games are broken into three major territories, which is strange because there are more than three territories. But um, there's the U.S. or North America. Um, there is Europe, which also generally, I think, includes Australia um, and probably it's next door. Yeah, probably <laughs> Africa as well. Um, and then there's, you know, Japan and Asia. So that's why, like, you'll, you'll see, like, a, a European PAL game, right? Uh, I guess PAL's not an issue mostly anymore, but um, there's, like, the European games, and they're going to have their own language settings and stuff like that. Like, they might release a, a European game that is French and English and German and whatever for that territory. And hopefully you know one of those languages. Um, and then Japan gets its own stuff. You'll have Japanese. Although I don't know that they do a lot of Chinese video games. China ha- might have its own stuff. Well, Yeah, they've started having Asian, I think for a few years now, having yeah. Asian territory games that, interestingly enough, um, let me see if I remember, because I used to buy import games all the time. And during the tail end of uh, that hobby, I seem to remember when I would buy some imports, sometimes they would actually send me the Asian territory version instead of the Japanese version. And those are actually distinct 
although um, I can't exactly remember, but either the Asian version is either in English or it's in Japanese. I think it might just be in English. So, so historically, so anyway, at least, just to make it more complicated for you, historically, at least, it's been broken up into these three territories. And when you get a Japanese or Asian game, it is Japanese language. I mean, unless they're those almost always include some English, which has always been weird to me. But yeah, unless it's any, the Asian uh, non-Japan territory game in English, like I just said. Yeah, but, but that, yeah. that also that's very. Sm- I mean, I'd, I've never even heard of that territory, but uh, yeah, anyway, it's, it's new. For the most part, it's these three. Although now that China has allowed video games uh, re- as of recently, right? Yeah. They might get their own. That's not my point, though. My point is PlayStation Home is shutting down in this one of three territories. Now, if I you ask me... I wonder why they're just doing that instead of the whole thing. Because I'm really just uh, wondering who... Well, they're, they're managed that. independently. But, of course, I mean, if they're closing one down, there's a reason, and I'm sure, inevitably, it will shut down in the other territories as well. Just like when they make an announcement of any sort in one area, you know, the other area's management doesn't make the same announcement until three days later or something. Yeah, maybe they're doing the slow roll for some reason. So the point that I want to make in general is PlayStation Home is closing. (laughs) Whether or not uh, it's been announced that it's closing outside of Japan yet, uh, it is, at least eventually. And the thing that bugs me about it is this is sort of i don't know if i can peg this just on sony but it seems like a sony thing that i mean do you remember the hype surrounding home back in i don't know what was it like 2009 or 2008 actually yeah whenever it was i do remember that hype and then i remember firing it up and i think you actually this might have actually been in person with you it probably was that's my guess, but I just um, I just walked around and then I told people in, in the area of the other avatars. I'm like, this is lame, and then they're like, then leave, and then I'm like, that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, so and that was it. I, I look back at the PlayStation Move as well, and it's the same thing. You know, at E3 and for a short period afterwards, they make a big deal out of this new thing that they're releasing, right? Whether it is the PlayStation Move. Uh, well, controller, camera, combo, whatever, the idea of motion controls, um, whether it's the PlayStation Home, they make a big deal. They put a lot of time and effort into building this product, so to speak. And then because they don't put any effort into it after that, they don't put any marketing into it after that point, it deteriorates. And something that could be cool is lost. Like the PlayStation Move is still the best motion controls that are available. Well, the and move is one thing, but I, I could just, I fail to see how they could have made home cool. Well, I mean, that's a separate debate, <laughs> but cer- certainly they felt it was important. They talked it up like it was a huge thing. And my guess is they talked it up early. Like maybe like, Oh, well you can build games in it. But I remember, remember that fig conference we went to last year in Phoenix. <laughs> there was a, one of the guys, there's a game called, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Gears, like just Gears. Yeah, there's a game called Gears. That's yeah. totally true. And so it's on like iOS, it's on PC, it's on everything, right? The one and only time I've ever seen this game was inside PlayStation Home. Because I was looking for like, what can you do in here? And there's this free game, Gears. Yeah, there were, there like, were a few games in there, but that even, that just served to mystify me more. Well, I mean, that's part of the point is they want to give you stuff to do in there. But then he... Uh, this this game developer guy, I forget his name, and I wish that I remembered right now, but I'm sorry, I don't. Um, he was Mr. talking about how Mr. that was Gears. The, well, no, but 
he said that was the worst version of the game. That's the one that you should not play. And so I, I'm willing to bet that it could have been good. Like if the, I don't know what, like if the engine or this port or whatever is built into PlayStation Home to allow you to put interactive elements into it, yeah, no. if it was more powerful and robust, I, I'm confident he would have done a better job. It could and it have, was, I don't it think was, it could have been good. Yeah, it, it, was it wasn't his desire, but his limitations that caused it to be bad. And so... Yeah, well, you've got... I mean, no wonder. You've got the whole overhead of that gigantic application with having these avatars in 3D spaces walk around and elaborately chat to each other. Yeah, and so point is, they go out there and make a huge deal of this being an amazing thing, and you can interact with people, you can do all this stuff, um, and they don't actually build it in such a way that you can do interesting things. Um, furthermore, they don't market it at all, so people don't use it, and then it dies. And this is, it's not so much that I care about home in particular, but I did care about the move, and there are other things that they do this with, where they just come up with a cool idea, they market it to the hardcore, like me, very briefly and then they're completely done it's like they abandon it which i know behind the scenes they didn't abandon it right they kept developing it and whatever but you need to put some marketing behind it if you want people to use it if you want people to pay attention and they don't and it's it's a pattern with them you know what Uh, i think is happening i think i know the reason for the pattern and it's just total guess but the impression i'm getting well no i think that what they do is it's like so successes in the video game industry world tend to be very fatty. So I think what they're doing is basically some way hedging their bet where it's like, okay, well, we're going to bring out this new thing, right? And we're going to bring it out with a bang and make everybody think like this is going to be the biggest, new, most exciting, everybody wants it thing and then see where it goes. And then... When they see that it's not going anywhere, uh, they just tighten the reins on the amount of funds that they're dedicating to it until it dies. And, of course, with that kind of approach, like, it will eventually just die no matter what, right? Like, either – like, because it didn't take off right away, it's they're just going to have it just die a slow death. Well, I feel, I feel what's like that's weird what, is that like, this hasn't a been a slow death. I mean, this has been, what, six years just, that's a pretty slow death. Seven, actually, because they're not going to – no, it's a very slow. I mean that's a trickle of a death. That's yeah. a, We're not going to do anything with it for seven years. And again, I know they did some stuff with it, but most people don't know it exists. Like there's only – well, this is actually kind of a big number. I think it was something like uh, 30% of PlayStation owners were involved in it or something. Like somehow got – no, 31 million users – that's and the I, number I was thinking of. So there's 31 million users, which I'm sure means 31 million people have gone in at least once, but yeah, well, not like necessarily me. used it frequently. Yeah, like once um, to decide how lame it is, and then you're done. Exactly. But, of course, it's available to anyone with a PlayStation 3. Interesting, by the way, not available to, on PlayStation 4. Um, anyone who has a PlayStation 3 can use it. 31 million people have. I wonder how many people actually use it frequently. And it's... It's just another example of them abandoning, like, a very big idea. Like, they invested a lot of time, money, and effort into this and then let it die. And that's, like I said, it's a pattern and it bugs me. Um, And that's one thing that I don't like about Sony, although I don't think you can peg this just on Sony. Other people do the same thing. Um, It kind of seems like it's the de facto way to market your product in the game industry. 
Yeah. Well, you've heard this concept of minimum viable product. Yeah. Right? That's I hate the idea so much, but it's it's lauded as like the way to do software development. Um <clears throat> well, not just software development, but really any development. Um, where you come up with the idea, you put it out there in the marketplace, you see what people think of it, and if it latches on at all, then you iterate and you make it better. But what yeah. that means is you're putting out a pretty crappy version of a product when you put it out, and it'd be so much cooler if people spent the like understood that the product was good before making people pay for it. Yeah, well, and I then, feel like there's there's a weaselly word in there, and that's the word viable, and I think there's a lot of gray area about what one would consider to be a minimum viable versus another right because you could easily argue look i mean if you make a bare bones version of whatever product you're trying to put out into the market to see if uh it will have legs well if it doesn't have legs you could say that you know what like you didn't you thought you made the minimum viable product but you made actually something less than what was minimally viable because it didn't work well clearly yeah so i feel like it's a gray area and i feel like it's um i don't know it's just one of those words that i feel like people throw around um very easily without uh you know a lot of thought yeah so that's that's my rant for for now um <clears throat> i'm ready to switch now to this this other topic that we we mentioned earlier if you are i mean yeah let's talk about, about that okay so really i'm just gonna let you take take this one away because you know more about it and i think are more you're closer to the heart of it. Ooh, well, you know, I mean, I'm probably three inches closer to the heart of it than you are, but um, that's fair enough. So there's this article that's been making the rounds, uh, and by the rounds, I mean it's been um, – people are talking about it a lot in the past couple of weeks. And there's a developer who is part of a company called Puppy Games. It might even be his company. And he basically published a rant that is getting a lot of attention. And he's it, – it's it's a little bit rambling, but the gist of what he's saying is that, you know, a lot of the changes in the sales dynamics of video games have created this climate now where the customers are as – vicious as ever with their demands and feedback and criticism and complaints about the products they're getting. Yet at the same time, the cost of these products to purchase is basically, you know, running down to the bottom as fast as it can. And so the consequence of that is that the value of a given customer to a developer is actually a lot less than it used to be because a customer on average might spend 60 bucks on you for one game but now they're spending one dollar on you for one game or maybe three or maybe i guess maybe even nothing and because the customer spends so little uh, basically pays the developer so little, their value to the developer is proportionately decreased. And so we get into this really weird situation now where, you know, the customers are becoming even more critical and more demanding. At least that's how it seems from what you hear as a developer from the feedback you get. 
And at the same time, the reality is, is that they're worth even less. But at the same time, of all of these two things, there is a climate where it is uh, totally, um, what's the word, taboo to mention this fact for fear of offending your customers. So you get into this really weird combination of a state as a developer where your your success is a still wholly reliant on your customers, right? I mean, you live and die by them. But now each individual customer is uh, completely worthless to you. So this is kind of an argument for why he should do console instead of PC stuff, but... Um so, yeah, yeah, but even console games are, you know, selling for a lot less than what they used yeah. to. And let I'm not read. talking about, like, you know, the AAA style stuff because let that's me. out of the purview of most independent developers. All right, so I'm going to, in my quick style, read a little bit from his blog, touches on the point that, like, part partway through what you were just saying. He says, yeah. uh, but now, now you're worth a dollar to us. If you buy every one of our games, you're worth $5. And once Valve and the Taxman and the bank take their cuts, you're not even worth half a cup of coffee. Uh, coffee excuse me. So while we're obsequiously polite and helpful when you do contact us for support... Even if it's just the same old, please install some actual video drivers response, you really should be aware that you're a dead loss. Even if you buy everything we ever make again, even if all your friends buy everything we ever make again, you just cost us money. Not just fictitious, huge piles of filthy, lucre, indie game developer who made it big money. All our money. We barely scratch a living like most indie game developers. You quite literally cost us lunch because the shop sold you a computer with broken software on it. Um... So he's he's explaining something that it was actually kind of a surprise to me. Um, so I have to clarify in case it's a surprise to anybody else too. As a software developer, he would actually trouble. I guess he would actually spend time troubleshooting his customers' machines to figure out why the game wouldn't run on them. Yes. Uh, and I'm like, wow, that is actually a level of customer support that I would not expect. From a developer. Yeah, which is ironic because you should. If you pay for the product, you should get some support out of it. But I, I, I suppose so. He's basically saying, you know, we shouldn't do support because it doesn't matter. And I have an argument to that, which is that, um, I mean, it, it does. I, I, he made this. I guess that's another. I guess that's another reason why you should develop on console, right? You don't have to. Use yeah, I can't. I can't remember. Did you mention the ants thing? Have we called everyone ants? No, I guess that didn't uh, go over too well with the populace. Yeah, huh? well, people are sensitive. But that's that's actually a really important piece of this. So let me go find this. Well, what, while you're finding that, the, the other thing I want to mention that I find is uh, kind of ironic. So actually, the funny part is is that it's not just that somebody who spends a dollar on a game is worth a dollar to the developer – it's even worse for the developer because the developer has spent money trying to market the game anyway. And so they've actually spent more money uh, into the quest to gain that customer. And so the amount that they've spent on marketing is actually, um, I guess the word is amortized against the number of customers that have bought your product, right? And that's how you get the value, this term that they throw around in free-to-play games is um, like cost per user, Right, you're actually, and they're saying it's like a lot of the big companies, they're spending two, three, four, maybe even more than four dollars per user to acquire them, 
right? And it's not like it's not like they're spending four dollars to get you to buy it. It's that it's happening indirectly. You know, it's not a direct exchange. But yeah, that's how that's how the the, the numbers shake down. And the thing that's crazy about that dynamic is that in some cases, yeah, uh, that means that the player might spend uh, $2 on your game, but you might have actually spent $2 to get that player to spend $2. Or, I mean, and then it'll be a wash. Sometimes you might have spent $4 to get that user to spend $2. And guess what? That value of that user is now not just uh, an ant. It's actually like a – it's like a negative, like, gerbil. <laughs> so – to, to continue this conversation, I think it's important that I, I quote again this little chunk of what he says. He says, um, without customers, we're dead in the water, homeless and living in a cardboard box outside the Burko sewage plant. I don't know what that is. But anyway, uh, individually, though, you're like ants, and all of us developers secretly know it and don't talk, <laughs> talk about it. Uh, you're not worth supporting. It's far, far better to completely, totally ignore support if you want to make a living. And here's where I think his argument falls apart. Because although, in theory, I agree with some of his rant, right? Like, first of all, we're probably whiny when we're asked for support and think that we mean the world to the developer because we spent two bucks and we should calm down. Um, Look, I, I've, been, I've been there too. I'm not immune to this. Don't get me wrong. I have spent, sent the most vitriolic um, feedback in, in the appropriate places to developers because I've been incredibly frustrated at what's happening and things are not working. So I understand. I've been there. I've made that mistake. Yeah, well, we've all been upset about things. But when he says it's not worth it, and, and maybe this is more of a lesson in business than in gaming or anything, but, like, clearly, individually, in, helping any individual person is me- meaningless to them financially, right? A dollar, yeah. two dollars. Well, it's not worth it in the micro, but it's <laughs> worth it in the macro because it has to be. Well, right? Well, that's the thing. There's a tipping point. There's a point at which your next product or the continued sales of your product – uh, will be there, right, and sell well, or you do such a bad job supporting people um, because you have a bad product that they will not buy from you again. So if you have a good product that generally most people like beyond whatever this imaginary tipping point is, well, I guess it's not that imaginary, but beyond this tipping point, if if more people like the game um, and aren't upset about the issues of bugs or whatever, um, or aren't having problems themselves because maybe their machines aren't broken, then great, you're going to do fine. But if you have bugs or things that are so widespread that they affect enough people that you hit this tipping point, and then everybody hates you, or enough people hate you that the word gets around, the general perception is your games are junk, you know, I'm not going to buy another one from you because it's either not fun or not working, then it absolutely is worth worth it to you to support those people because it pushes them back over that tipping point. It brings them back to the point that they will buy again. And you never know what that point is. That's impossible to to determine. But clearly, if you put out something that is broken and then you don't support people, that's a problem. The, the ideal is don't put out something that's broken, but that's virtually impossible in the world of PCs and, and you know, variable yeah. hardware. Well, in his defense, it, it sounded like he wasn't putting out anything that was broken. It just seemed to be uh, he was encountering a lot of customers who had yeah. configurations that were and that's always gonna happen. broken in ways that only would be discovered upon yeah. trying to play his You know what's game. weird is even on iOS, like consoles are the only thing that are really immune from this. And as, as consoles mature they get further or less and less immune from this. Ain't that yeah. the truth, What I mean is brother. a Nintendo, every time you boot up a Nintendo with a cartridge, it was exactly the damn same thing. Like everybody's NES. Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, 
like they were all the same. Now that we have all these OSs yeah. running that you can do stuff and you can install things and you can mess with things and you have updates on your on your OS, which is horrible for consoles, it means things can break because then you might be running this person's software on this version OS versus this version OS. And God forbid the company puts out a different version of the actual hardware. Like, did you know the Genesis? Um, I don't know that this created problems for anybody, but like the Genesis um, relatively early on in its lifetime actually changed the audio hardware that it used. Like it, it straight up yeah, took I, a chip I out. I do remember that. Right? Like, I actually, I don't know if it was on the Genesis, but I seem to recall that there was some kind of audio issue with something somewhere yeah. with some combination of hardware. Yeah. Well, like Sega at some point straight up took out an audio chip. They're like, no, it's not going to be here in the, anymore. It's going to be handled by something else. And so if you have, you know, Genesis version one prior produced prior to a certain date, then it will sound better. At least certain things will sound better than other Genesis machines. Right. This is just the way it yeah. is. Um, that could, when you're changing hardware, could cause a problem. And we've seen that. I can't remember examples, but I know that we've seen that sort of thing where, you know, if you have a PlayStation 2 of this version, then it's fine. And if you have one of this version, it's not. Not just backwards compatibility, but like, anyway, uh, consoles are relatively immune, although that's changing. But PCs, even iOS, because you've got someone running an original iPhone with like iOS version 2 versus someone running the new one on 7 or 8 coming out soon, like... And you have different levels of RAM and all sorts of stuff, right? Um, Let me tell you what kind, what kind of position it puts a user in. And by user, I mean me, right? When you have something like an Android tablet and then so they push a system OS update to your tablet and then you think, do I want to click on this? And then you go to the internet and you research and you find out that the update is bricking some people's tablets and then you think to yourself, what kind of Russian roulette am I playing here? Because everything's fine the way it is, or I could press this button and the world is still fine but might be 0.1% better, or I could just break this product that I have, that all this stuff, is, all this data that I have is important to me is on. Yep, I'm with you. It's like... I'm not going to take that gamble. I'm going to leave that update icon sitting on my notification tray for as long as I want because it's just not worth the risk. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, I think we've sort of strayed away from the, the point we were making originally or the thing we were covering. But, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you and I are together on this one. I hate updates. I mean, I like updates when they give me new cool stuff, but I wish that I would have just had that cool stuff when the product yeah. was released. Well, the thing is, it shouldn't be a gamble, and it's it's very. I mean, the problem is is that we are mired in systems that are so complicated that even the developers cannot reliably update their products, and that's pretty hairy. Yeah. That's a rough spot so, to be in. To to just sum up this guy's complaint, and his name is Caspian Prince, which, by the way, I've never heard a greater name, and he is one of the co-founders of Puppy Games. Um, He's basically saying, like, the way the world is going with all of these super sales where people only buy games when they're down to a dollar when they were originally 10 bucks or, you know, $5 instead of 40 or whatever, like, indie developers aren't going to be able to hack it anymore. And they're going to be dropping like flies, and he doesn't really see change coming soon. And so he's, he's fearful for the state of independent development um, 
just because they're they're being priced out of the business with all of these one dollar games or it's got to be free to even get someone to to look at it situations yeah, it's true but that's what happens when markets get saturated too i mean yeah well when it becomes easy easy to make a game and easy to promote a game then everybody does it and then suddenly it's harder to get that game noticed with your free promotion and yeah yep okay well it's a bad scene for him i guess uh i the interesting follow-up to this is what the reaction's been and if he is gonna like put up some sort of apology because he pissed people off he doesn't seem like the type and i don't think he should um yeah i don't think he's an apologist yeah but uh it's it's kind of cool that he came out and said all this stuff and maybe some people will read it and sort of get the kick in the pants like i need to be not such a d-bag and expect the world from these people that i spent 50 cents on then again my counter argument is if you're asking someone to pay for something whether it's even a penny uh, or anything more then you should expect them to to think that they own it and ask you for support of it if it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I don't think his arguments were anywhere near being impeccable, but at the same time, I mean, I think he had something compelling to say and I'm glad that somebody said it. Yeah. Cause it's happening. All right. Well, what I'm saying is end of the show. It's been great. Um, going to take another couple of weeks and I'm going to continue to, grow my child and turn him into a little gamer i do want to i think i asked this of people before but i should probably put it on on facebook and just try to follow it i still want suggestions for what are the top however many games from each system that i should be introducing my child to when he's he's old enough for this i want to start collecting a real solid list that one day perhaps will be shared in a in a larger venue or something like if i were a journalist i could actually write about this um yeah, what are basically the best games of all time that that need to be introduced to this guy? And in what order? If there's an opinion on the order or how it should be done, I'm also curious. I have my own ideas, but I want to hear what other people have to say about it. Um, yeah. All right, so that's it. I'm ready to go. You got anything to say before we leave? I'm ready. You're asking me a lot of questions before we have to go, but the answer is I'll see you guys next time. All right. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.